Part 3, Propositions 46 to 50 of The Ethics by Spinoza. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Ethics by Benedict de Spinoza. Translated by R. H. M. Elwes. Part 3, Propositions 46 to 50. Proposition 46. If a man has been affected, pleasurably or painfully, by any one of a class or nation different from his own, and if the pleasure or pain has been accompanied by the idea of the said stranger as cause under the general category of the class or nation, the man will feel love or hatred not only to the individual stranger, but also to the whole class or nation whereto he belongs. Proof. This is evident from Part 3, Proposition 16. Proposition 47. Joy arising from the fact that anything we hate is destroyed or suffers other injury is never unaccompanied by a certain pain in us. Proof. This is evident from Part 3, Proposition 27. For insofar as we conceive a thing similar to ourselves to be affected with pain, we ourselves feel pain. Note. This proposition can also be proved from the corollary to Part 2, Proposition 17. Whenever we remember anything, even if it does not actually exist, we regard it only as present and the body is affected in the same manner. Wherefore, in so far as the remembrance of the thing is strong, a man is determined to regard it with pain. This determination, while the image of the thing in question lasts, is indeed checked by the remembrance of other things, excluding the existence of the aforesaid thing, but is not destroyed. Hence, a man only feels pleasure in so far as the said determination is checked. For this reason, the joy arising from the injury done to what we hate is repeated, every time we remember that object of hatred. For as we have said, when the image of the thing in question is aroused, inasmuch as it involves the thing's existence, it determines the man to regard the thing with the same pain as he was wont to do when it actually did exist. However, since he has joined to the image of the thing other images which exclude its existence, this determination to pain is forthwith checked, and the man rejoices afresh as often as the repetition takes place. This is the cause of men's pleasure in recalling past evils, and delight in narrating dangers from which they have escaped. For when men conceive a danger, they conceive it as still future, and are determined to fear it. This determination is checked afresh by the idea of freedom, which became associated with the idea of the danger when they escaped therefrom. This renders them secure afresh, therefore they rejoice afresh. Proposition 48. Love or hatred towards, for instance, Peter, is destroyed if the pleasure involved in the former or the pain involved in the latter emotion be associated with the idea of another cause and will be diminished in proportion as we conceive Peter not to have been the sole cause of either emotion. Proof. This proposition is evident from the mere definition of love and hatred. Part 3, Proposition 13, Note. For pleasure is called love towards Peter, and pain is called hatred towards Peter, simply insofar as Peter is regarded as the cause of one emotion or the other. When this condition of causality is either wholly or partly removed, the emotion towards Peter also wholly or in part vanishes. Quaderit demonstrandum. Proposition 49. Love or hatred towards a thing which we conceive to be free must, other conditions being similar, be greater than if it were felt towards a thing acting by necessity. Proof. A thing which we conceive as free must, part 1, definition 7, be perceived through itself without anything else. If, therefore, we conceive it as the cause of pleasure or pain, we shall therefore, part 3, proposition 13, note, love it or hate it, and shall do so with the utmost love or hatred that can arise from the given emotion. But if the thing which causes the emotion be conceived as acting by necessity, we shall then, by the same definition 7, part 1, 
conceive it not as the sole cause, but as one of the causes of the emotion, and therefore our love or hatred towards it will be less, quod erit demonstrandum. Note. Hence it follows that men, thinking themselves to be free, feel more love or hatred towards one another than towards anything else. To this consideration we must add the imitation of emotions treated of in Part 3, Propositions 27, 34, 40, and 43. Proposition 50. Anything whatever can be accidentally a cause of hope or fear. Proof. This proposition is proved in the same way as Part 3, Proposition 15, which see together with the note to Part 3, Proposition 18. Note, things which are accidentally the causes of hope or fear are called good or evil omens. Now, insofar as such omens are the cause of hope and fear, they are, by the definitions of hope and fear given in Part 3, Proposition 18, note, the causes also of pleasure and pain. Consequently, we to this extent regard them with love or hatred, and endeavor either to invoke them as means towards that which we hope for, or to remove them as obstacles or causes of that which we fear. It follows further from Part 3, Proposition 25, that we are naturally so constituted as to believe readily in that which we hope for, and with difficulty in that which we fear. Moreover, we are apt to estimate such objects above or below their true value. Hence there have arisen superstitions whereby men are everywhere assailed. However, I do not think it worth while to point out here the vacillations springing from hope and fear. It follows from the definition of these emotions that there can be no hope without fear, and no fear without hope, as I will duly explain in the proper place. Further, in so far as we hope for or fear anything, we regard it with love or hatred. Thus, everyone can apply by himself to hope and fear what we have said concerning love and hatred. End of Part 3, Propositions 46-50